Don't know how many of you guys had the opportunity to watch the third and final movie in the uh, Hobbit trilogy. I got to watch it this last week and absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the unfolding story of The Hobbit since it started two years ago with the very first movie because the book The Hobbit, I think in many ways, uh, is a beautiful picture of the reality in which we live in our cultural context and what happens when we collide with the gospel and the invitation we have into a life that we can't begin to imagine. Because the story of The Hobbit begins with a little guy called Bilbo Baggins living in an idyllic life in the Shire and then he collides with the reality of the real world and he's invited by a band of carriers of the light to go with them on an adventure and they tell him up front, look, this adventure, it comes with some difficulty. It, it has moments that are going to test everything you are. And frankly, we can't even guarantee you'll ever come back. You might die on this adventure. And uh, against a better judgment, he jumps into the adventure. And like we all do, when we are first invited onto adventure, even the horrid parts of the adventure sound romantic, don't they? I mean, it's, the, it's that typical feeling of men going to war and they're like, they're well-trained and they're ready and so they're excited, but when they drive out of the war zone, there are not smiles on their faces because war is ugly and difficult and hard and you don't know that till you're in it and, and you really experience it. And that's how the story of The Hobbit progresses. It starts with this magical invitation into an adventure. And actually, two years ago, on the first weekend of January, when we unpacked vision for Mosaic Church, we played the preview from the first Hobbit movie, inviting us all into a grand adventure. And I told you then, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be a grand adventure. I think it's beautiful that it comes full circle to this movie, because I went and watched the movie with my boys uh, this last week and one of my boys missed the movie and so one of my other boys said this to him when he said how was the movie he said this if you like war you will like this movie because <clears throat> that's what this movie was it was one big war zone there was nothing else I mean it started out pretty much with the dragon burning everything and then war from there and and the reality is that as we walk out of the uh, collision with the gospel and the invitation of the gospel to walk into this world on behalf of Christ as ambassadors of Christ, and we are told <clears throat> you get to carry the light, you get to carry the gospel into a dark world and be change agents for the kingdom of God. You, you get to be redemptive on behalf of Christ as we walk and face the darkness with, with great uh, uh, hope of being redemptive and great power to be redemptive, what we find is that the darkness bites back, right? I mean, the darkness fights back. It doesn't lay down at our feet as we go in. The enemy of God is always against our movement forward because we stand for God and the people of the world because what we bring, the gospel, does collide with our own personal desires and philosophies. We tend to find that living redemptively is messy and difficult and frankly, it's like a war zone. And then we shouldn't be totally surprised because this is exactly what the scriptures unpacks for us. This is exactly what we were told from the beginning. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and uh, as he's hanging out with them, he has this last conversation before he's going to leave and <clears throat> go through the crucifixion and then die. And, and he says this to them in John chapter 15 in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, Jesus told us, his followers, if you're going to live for me, live redemptively and follow me as one of my disciples, understand that as you carry the light into a dark world, it is going to create a war zone. Paul writes later on, and when he writes in the book of Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians chapter six, uh, this is what he writes about. Listen to this, this is, this is crazy. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Does that sound like a, a, a kind of a war move? Yeah, it does. Listen to this. Uh, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not uh, war against flesh and blood, but against the powers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil, and having done that, to stand firm. And then it goes on to talk to you about what the armor of God is. Uh, when Paul is writing to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, his protege, he writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Do you hear the language there? <clears throat> the language of scripture from Jesus, from Paul, from other authors is that when we enter into the world to be redemptive, it is a war zone. Here at Mosaic Church, every single year that we enter a new year, uh, one of the things that is non-negotiable for us is that as we enter the new year, we want to advance into the darkness. We want to be redemptive. We want to be ambassadors of Christ. And so when we start dreaming as an elder team about where we go in a new year, the first thing that is always up front is how do we advance into the darkness more effectively than we have the year before? How do we become more more redemptive on behalf of Christ than the year before. That is always a singular focus for us. We want to be great ambassadors of Christ, great carriers of the gospel, and that means you and me, you and me. This year, as we started dreaming together about 2015 in the new year and what the vision was gonna look like for us as a church, uh, we started asking ourselves another question too. It kind of kept coming up in meetings, meeting after meeting on the elder team. Okay, so we want to advance in 2015. We have advanced greatly in 2013 and 14, but here's what we found. As we advance into the darkness, as we grow into a force to be reckoned with for the kingdom of God, it seems like the darkness gets bigger. It seems like we bring more junk in here because we're taking on more missional stories and that stuff fights back. So if we're going to advance and we're going to become the church that we want to be, change the world on behalf of Christ, are we strong enough? Are we ready for that kind of a war? Are we prepared for what the enemy's going to try to do both outside at us and inside in us? Because the darkness doesn't give us the luxury of staying outside our doors. It comes here and it tries to undo us internally. And so we started asking ourselves uh, the question, are we healthy? 
Are we a healthy church? Are we healthy enough to advance in 2015 to really make change? So then we had to ask a big question, what is a healthy church? I mean, it's easy to say, are you healthy when you don't know what health is? Well, for our physical bodies, it's relatively easy, right? We've figured out some things. If your blood pressure is good and, and, and your pulse is running well at a certain average and you can run a mile under eight minutes and, and you can, uh, you know, you're eating relatively well and so therefore your skin tones are good and in general, I mean, there's certain things we can kind of go, if these things are true of you, then you are a healthy person. And if these things are not true of you, then you're not as healthy as you need to be. And then you can make changes to try to move toward health, right? So we asked ourselves, what is a healthy church? The elder team wrestled for three or four months of the end of this year through what it meant to be a healthy church. We prayed, we studied the scriptures, we sought out different things. We read books, uh, books about uh, research done on healthy churches in our nation. We read books that took hundreds of churches in America and hundreds of churches outside of America and tried to figure out from those churches what makes a church healthy and not healthy. We read articles, we watched videos. And as we prayed and studied and sought the scriptures and looked at research, we kept boiling down the list, because there were lots of lists, uh, into some simple things that we said, if these things are true of a church and they are healthy in a church, then we can say that that church is probably a healthy place, outside of what's hidden that nobody could see. And so here's what we came up with. The five things that we believe make a healthy church, if they are true in the church, are these five things. First of all, the church must have a gospel-centric worldview. In other words, the gospel must define the way that the church functions. The church cannot be making decisions or living its life out, uh, being informed by the realities of this world in any way, or by pleasing people, or by getting bigger, or by keeping stuff, or by accumulating more uh, um, uh, notoriety. I mean, anything that informs the church that is not gospel-centric is a problem, and if the church doesn't have a gospel-centric view of the world and of life, then that's church cannot be healthy. We felt that that was singular and most important to a healthy church, that the church understands the whole gospel, not only that God came and rescued us, but that he restored our purpose to image him and that he has redeemed our future so that we now live as ambassadors of Christ, that devoted lives on mission for the kingdom of God matter. And so uh, we, we, we know that that reality is incredibly important. Second of all, uh, a church that's healthy is going to have healthy biblical leadership. That was on every list that we found across the board. There was no list we found in any book or any article that didn't have leadership being healthy as one of the markers of a healthy church. Because here's why. It's very simple. If your leadership isn't healthy, your church isn't healthy. Okay, let me just say that again. If your leadership isn't healthy, your church isn't healthy. The two just cannot live apart from one another. Leaders have to be healthy. Healthy biblical leaders. The third thing that we discovered was this, that churches that are healthy are doing a phenomenal job at equipping the saints to do the work of the gospel. In other words, discipleship is vibrant in a healthy church. If a church is not actually leading its people into greater devotion and into greater mission uh, with their lives, giving them a greater view of the gospel and of Christ, then the church is not healthy. There are a lot of churches that function internally. We just wanna get happy here. A church needs to be equipping you to go do the work of Christ, the work of the gospel, and to be inspired to step in and do it. 
Fourth, the church needs to have uh, uh, healthy financial realities. Finances need to be healthy and full of integrity. That one doesn't seem awfully spiritual, does it? Like, yeah, yeah, your money has to be healthy? Here's what we found. That as they did the research across the board and as we studied the scriptures, we realized that though money in in of itself isn't a big spiritual like discipleship and healthy biblical leadership, if your money isn't healthy and isn't full of integrity, it has great and detrimental impact on the health of the church. One, for any church to sustain the ministry that it does, to continue to do what it does, if its finances aren't healthy, eventually the finances become the obstacle to doing the ministry you're called to do. If you can't handle your finances well, then you are going to run out of the steam you need for the vision God's pouring in. God provides the finances, we have to manage them well. And if you're not full of integrity in finances, that is massively detrimental to the gospel, which frankly undoes the first one anyways. Because if the gospel doesn't inform the way you spend your money and handle your money, then you're, you're dead in the water to start with because the gospel doesn't inform your church then. And then last and finally, we recognize that any healthy church is a church that's gonna be reproducing. It is gonna be reproducing on multiple levels. It is gonna be reproducing one person to another, that's that discipleship process. You, if you are equipped to do the work of the gospel, and what is the work of the gospel? To go into all the world and make disciples, uh, bring people from being explorers uh, to being people that follow Jesus with their whole heart, devoted and on mission. And so if we see you making disciples in your circles of influence and we are equipping you to do that, then that's naturally gonna create reproduction. That is you being reproduced in another, Christ being reproduced in you and then in another. And that is incredibly important. So you should see a church that's seeing its people reproduced in others and a church that's seeing itself reproduced in churches. More campuses, more church plants. That That should be happening if a church is healthy. If a church is sitting and not reproducing, then that is a sign that there is not health there. So we took those five things as an elder team after much research and study and prayer and thought, and we said, okay, if if these are the five things we are boiling down, they're, they're more, but they fit into those categories, how are we doing in these five categories? Are we healthy? Because if we're gonna move into 2015 and we're gonna advance into the darkness and we're gonna take bigger steps than ever, then boy, we better be ready and healthy. Otherwise, the enemy's gonna creep into one of these five areas and sink us internally while the darkness advances externally. And so we started asking, what does that look like? So we took our elder team and we broke them into teams and said, why don't you each go and explore one of these areas, do your due diligence, and come with an honest assessment back to us on whether we are healthy in these areas or whether we are not. We divided the team up into expertise. So for example, now the two elders that went and explored our finances, one is a financial advisor in his everyday day job and one is an attorney. So this is what they do for a living, and so they didn't go play around with our finances. Ding, ding, ah, looks good, looks good to me. There's some good numbers on a page, and it looks like we have money in the bank, so we must be good. No, 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 they dug in to see, and we kind of divided the team up into their expertise in each of these five categories and said, go, study, come back, tell us. Here's what we found as we came back as an elder board at the end of 2014 in these five categories. Category number one, a gospel-centric worldview. I have great news for you. The elders came back and said, we can't find anything there that we're worried about. I mean, A plus on that one. 
And we say, well, uh, well how, how do you get to that? Well, we've looked back over the last uh, 12 years of this church's life. We've looked at what's happening in the church now. We've looked at what's being taught currently and what has been taught all along. And the truth is, from the stage, uh, from the missional communities, from the staff meetings, from the internal meetings that take place on internal staff stuff, from the elder teams collectives to the deacon collectives to everything else we do, wherever you go in this church, if you sit down for five minutes, the gospel begins to inform things. We've looked at the decisions made from money to people to stuff and the gospel is always central in those decisions. Even in our elder team, we don't make decisions without first asking ourselves, how does the gospel inform this? So they came back and said, man, this is rock solid. When we planted Mosaic Church, we started with a mission. This was our mission. We exist to demonstrate our passion for God and his passion for people. That comes right out of love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest command of all. Jesus said it. You know what our mission statement is today? We exist to demonstrate our passion for God and his passion for people. Hasn't changed one bit. We love God, we love people, we serve the world. That's what we do. And so we looked at that and we went, wow, we are indeed and have proven over 12 years that we are going to be informed by the gospel, calling people into devotion and mission for the kingdom of God. So we said we need to stay the course on that. The temptation there will be that as we expand and there's more at risk because there's bigger things that we might start making decisions to keep all of this and we just cautioned ourselves, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Don't ever make a decision to keep people or to keep stuff. Make decisions for the gospel. Second, uh, we jumped into leadership, uh, healthy biblical leadership. And here's what we found about that. We found that we are on the right track and we need to stay the course, but we need to continue to work hard on that. Here's why. Two years ago, here's how leadership worked at Mosaic Church. We had some leaders, and if you happen to get to know one of those leaders, and they spent time with you over coffee because you liked them and you wanted to spend time with them, then they would pour into you. That was sort of a natural thing that happened at Mosaic. And over time, if you hung out with them long enough, you would gain all of the things they had and you would become a leader. Then you'd be invited into leadership because you have great relationship now and you would step into a journey. So all of the elders that we had two years ago were all relationally discovered, right? I hung out with them, and then I get to know them, then I pour into them, then they pour into me, and then eventually I go, you wanna be an elder? Because now I know you're biblically qualified because I've spent like years with you. The trouble is that in that kind of relational leadership, you are stuck with very few leaders. Because you can't become a leader unless you happen to get in with one of the other leaders and they happen to spend a great deal of time with you. But you can only spend time with so many people and so it wasn't effective. Our church was growing and we were running out of the ability to shepherd well. So a little over a year and a half ago, uh, I uh, started thinking and uh, the team with me started thinking. We were like, we need, to, we need to expand on this. And so we went out and we found Phil Taylor, our executive pastor of leadership development. And we brought Phil into the picture and we said to Phil, here's the deal. Develop awesome leaders and develop structures and systems in which people can step into leadership here or into a leadership journey without having to get to know somebody first. Over the last year and a half, Phil has done a masterful job of that. 
He has created the structures where in our deacon tracks and our elder tracks, we have ways that anyone at any time who's interested can step into leadership, and then they go through a sequence of uh, structures and systems that have relationship built into them so that they can become, be discipled into the leaders they wanna be, and we can assess whether or not they biblically uh, qualify along the way as we go until they do. Because of that, some things have moved forward dramatically here. Uh, we had uh, two years ago, uh, we, we had seven deacons serving the church as it grew past 500, then 800, then 1,000, and they were serving like crazy, burning out constantly, uh, overwhelmed with what they needed to do, and we had five elders, because those were the people that I'd gotten to know over the years. When Phil came on board, he started a journey, and here's where we stand today. Today we have 80 deacons in play. 80 people that are deacons in this church already released serving the church and we have more coming and there's gonna be more in 2015. We have 11 elders that have been qualified and engaged as elders and we have uh, 15 elders in an elder collective that have already gone through a number of months and in two years they will step in as elders. In a year they'll be functioning as elders in process. We have another elder collective that will launch sometime in 2015 with a new crop of elders and more deacons to come. Why? Because our dream here at Mosaic Church is this. This is what we're moving toward. That we would have an elder and his wife shepherding over three missional communities. The three missional communities would have around 12 people in them each. It might be 15, it might be 10. It's not an exact science, but around 12. Two of whom are a deacon couple leading that missional community. So there's a deacon serving 10 to 12 people uh, and there's an elder serving three missional communities with six deacons that are doing a lot of the ministry work. And that's it. That's what everything should look like here so that if you are in a missional community, there's always 30 people with a pastor shepherding over them and two deacons serving them. And then we can start doing some real shepherding. So to get there, here's what we figured out. We need 2% of our congregation to be elders at all times and 12% of our congregation to be deacons at all times. So here's what we discovered. We're behind the curve. Uh, we, we don't need 11 elders. In fact, we don't even need uh, 26 elders. We need 40 elders and uh, we need 380 deacons, I think, to, to really facilitate what's going on. You go, what? That's just, that's just now. Next year, we'll have to double that. You understand? So, so now you understand what we have to work at, right? Now, we don't want to rush it because if we produce leaders and we have enough of them but they're not well equipped, then what happens? We have unhealthy biblical leaders and then that's no good for you either. And so we've got work to do on this, but we are doing the work. We can't do anything else. We can only invite you into the process and continue to work diligently at the process. I'm excited about where that's gonna go because it's going fast. Here we go, equipping the saints. How are we doing on equipping the saints? Now, equipping the saints, we realize in our context that here in this gathering space, to equip you is very, very difficult. Yes, I can inspire you here, no doubt about it. I inspire you, the teachers on the stage inspire you through the word of God as the spirit moves through us and into you guys to step into this incredible invitation of life. But once you actually step in, if you're not being equipped and you're not being encouraged in the devotional and missional space, it's going to get ugly fast because you're going to run out there, be missional, find yourself in a war zone, unequipped with no weapons, and you're going to think you're going to die. Then you're going to run away and find a comfortable church. And that's not what we want. We want you to be equipped. So we realized we need to get you guys into a space where you can be equipped and that's our missional communities. 
And so our missional communities, we've been working diligently to make sure that becomes central to your lives and central to the understanding of being equipped. Here's what we, here's what we found in missional communities. We found that, again, we are right on track, but we need to continue to work diligently and push hard into it. We cannot put it on cruise control. We've got to push hard into that. Here's why. We started with um, missional communities in 2013. They'd started the summer of 2013. At the end of 2013, beginning of 2014, uh, we had uh, 30 missional communities. We had one missional community coach, one missional community coach coaching over those 30 missional community leaders. Of those uh, missional communities, seven deacons were shepherding over those missional communities, and it represented about 480 people in our church were in missional community. We were unsatisfied with that. So in 2013, we pushed hard, 2000, uh, I mean, it's 2014, we pushed hard, and today, as we stand now, here's where we stand with missional communities. Uh, we have 13 missional community coaches coaching over the missional community leaders. We have 48 missional communities around our city. 900 of you participate in missional community today, and we have 25 deacons leading those missional communities. So that means that close to 50% of our church are in missional community. Uh, we've done the stats. We've looked around the nation. That's unheard of. There are churches that are doing it, but they are far and few between. If you have 20% of your people in a small group version, that is fantastic out there. People are like raving. And we're at 50%. We are unsatisfied. We need to be at 70% to be even at a place where we feel like we are equipping you well to do the work of the gospel. So here's what the elders uh, came to conclude. We have done the work well. We are doing the work well in uh, establishing a uh, missional community as central uh, for Mosaic. But we need to continue to push that because we need to move from 50% to 70% in missional community. We need more missional community leaders. We need more missional communities. We need to continue to push forward there. Equipping the saints to the work of the gospel is central to our reality. And we need to continue to do it well. Finances, money, we got to the money part. <laughs> and so they came back and they were like, all right, let's talk money. And these guys, they know money. So they came back and this is what they told us. Let's start with where we're, where we're really, really healthy. The first thing they told us is this. The way we handle our money, the way we spend our money, phenomenal, A plus across the board. Did you know that we give 20% of anything that comes in here away? 20% of our income goes back out immediately to mission locally and globally. Uh, and so they were like, man, you're setting the pace for what you're calling your people into. The way we handle the other 80%, the percentages of how we work them from a budgeting, budgeting perspective, from uh, who we hire and how much we spend on people and how much we spend on programs and how much we spend on, on operations, the percentages were rock solid. Uh, there were a couple of tweaks here and there. They said, well, if you want to get into the highest percentage of health, you can tweak this percentage there or tweak that one there, but you guys are running this well. The way the money's handled in terms of who handles it and who touches it and who has hands on it and the plurality of that and the Accounting systems, phenomenal. They were like, phenomenal. I, we would be, bring anyone in from the outside, show them what you do with your money, it will be gospel centric. The second thing they said that's very healthy is they said, you guys are doing phenomenally well with debt. 
So I said, well, well hold on, we have debt, and, and, and if we have debt, that's bad. And I said, no, no, hold on a second. Let me tell you statistically what's going on with our debt, right? So first of all, Mosaic Church has no revolving debt, zero revolving debt. That would be the kind of debt that you would think of as credit card debt or um, 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 uh, uh, money that you've pulled from the bank that you're borrowing from the bank to spend on things, cash flow debt, things with depreciating assets like car payments and stuff. This is revolving debt. It's debt that you have that you need to pay back uh, that is just cash flow. We have zero revolving debt. Statistically, churches of our size, the majority of churches of our size have significant revolving debt, cash flow debt. They borrow money to do programs, they borrow money to run operations, they borrow money to move forward on things. It's not mortgage debt. Then the second thing is we have mortgage debt, and that was the debt I was talking about. We have mortgage debt on our building. So they said to us, yes, you do, but listen, your mortgage debt's incredibly healthy. Listen to this, right? We spend less than 8% of our income on servicing our mortgage debt. What that would mean is, of your annual income for your mortgage payment on your house, less than 8% of your income goes toward paying your mortgage payment. If that were true for most of us, we'd be raving right now. You guys are probably at 33% if you're super healthy, because that's what all the financial advisors say you should be at, no more than 33%, but many of us we already know, right? I'm at 42%, is that bad? Yeah, that's not very healthy. 50%, not good, not good. But 33% decent, uh, 20% awesome. Mosaic Church is at 8%. That's what it costs us to service our debt. Not only that, but our mortgage debt is less than an annual income for our church. So we make more in a year here than we owe on the building. That means imagine for a second, if your mortgage that you owed on your house was less than what you make in a year. Who'd be raving? Who'd be excited? I mean, you'd be going, wait, wait a second. You take my annual salary and I owe less on my house than my annual salary? That's incredible. I want that house. Yeah, well, we have it because that's what our reality is here at Mosaic Church. So what that means in simple terms is this. For a church our size with the income we have and servicing our mortgage at 8%, that means that we have no worries about taking care of that debt. We can take care of that debt easily. It's not debt that's sort of looming and out of control. It's debt that is being serviced well and will be paid off well and easily by this church. The banks are excited. Everybody's excited. So we're very healthy in our debt structures and ratios. We're very healthy in the way we handle our money. Here's where we're not so healthy. This is what they said. Okay, number one, you guys have half a month's worth of reserve in your savings account. That means that what it costs us to manage the church financially for a month with everything we spend, if all the money stopped today, we would have a half a month of money and then we'd run out. We only have half a month in the account. Now, they say to be healthy, you should have between two and three months of reserve in your savings account. Now, again, we're all smiling because we're like, really? I need three months of income in savings? That's healthy? That's healthy. If you have less than that, that's not so healthy. Most of us live paycheck by paycheck. That's not healthy. Right now, Mosaic kind of lives paycheck by paycheck. Essentially, we have a half a month in reserves. Now, that was not like a, oh gosh, we haven't been handling our money well. That was actually an intentional philosophical decision on our part. Because 10 years ago, when we started the journey, this is what I said. I said, look, we will not have any rainy day funds. We're not gonna have some money in the account for a rainy day. Here's why, because it's raining outside. In fact, it's pouring outside. There's death out there, and we need to spend our money every dime we have to get out there and be missional. We're not gonna have some massive account sitting there for some rainy day, because we gotta go now. 
And so we've always run our budgets with a small little reserve just in case, but for the most part, what's in the account, we spend it. Here's also why we did that, because we had a unique luxury, okay? At any point in time over the years that that reserve was too little and we ran to the end of it, we didn't have to step into revolving debt or we didn't have to shut things down because we had the luxury of having some incredible people that I could make a phone call to and say, uh, our reserve has run out and we need to make a payroll payment. Could you uh, give us some money? And they would write checks, how much you need? Shh, ding, how much you need? Shh, ding. It's the same people that paid for this building originally, wrote a million dollar check and put it in our account for us without a question. So we had that luxury. Now over the last two years, I gotta tell you, we've never made that phone call. So we've been running beautifully on that little half a month of reserve, but still we sit there. Well, so here's the deal. We did have a reserve. I told the elders when they came, I said, you have no reserve. That's not healthy. I said, no, we have a reserve. It's just in somebody else's account. <laughs> and they said, okay, here's the deal. That's wonderful, but that's not healthy, okay? That's not healthy. See, that's me. And they were like, no, we need a reserve in our account. So I said, okay, fair enough. So as an elder team, we said this year, we got to get our reserves up to 25 to 3%. In other words, or 25 to 3 months. We're gonna work at that. And then the final thing is they said, here's the other area, oddly enough, that we're not healthy, and this one surprised me, I gotta tell you. So in the giving, right, and just in the giving category, if you take churches of our size across the nation and you do the statistics across the nation of churches our size and how much they give per person. So you just take the full amount given and you divide it by the people attending and you go, this is the per person. Do you know that we fall in the bottom 10%? We're in the bottom 10% of churches outside. In other words, our giving at this church, what is given here, is in the bottom 10% of churches in our nation of our size that give. Now, I'll grant you, a lot of those churches, they make money a big deal. Every week, it's money, 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 money. And so people give out of guilt, they give out of fear, they give out of hope that God's gonna give back to them. They do all sorts of things. And so that category doesn't exactly land for me, but what it did tell me is that our giving is definitely on the very low end of what it could or should be. And I know why. One, because we are a young church still. So many of us are still trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, including in our finances. Two, uh, we are a church that doesn't pass a plate. We have boxes in the back. And they'll, t they'll, they'll tell you off the bat, that's 15% of your income gone. Because the people that throw five or $10 in every time the plate comes by, you, you lose that five or $10. And so to that we say, we hear you, we got you. But what we gain is that giving becomes an act of worship, not a random act of guilt. And so we're gonna keep doing that. We're not gonna start passing the plate, don't worry. But we are going to start stepping in and, and challenging in 2015 more as a body of what it looks like to engage in our finances more. Uh, that doesn't mean that you guys don't give because here's what I suspect, at least I hope. I hope that we find out when we die that part of the reason why our giving is so low is because we've taught you guys to be so generous out there. That's what I hope. I hope that you guys are giving uh, generously anyway. Now, I, I want to, us to learn to gather together and to give more here so that we can do more. But if the answer is that many of us just don't give because we don't have to, then we've got some teaching to do, don't we? Because that's not gospel-centric, it's just not. If someone looks into our church and says, are you guys missional? Are you guys about the gospel? And we go, yeah, and then they find out we're in the bottom 10% across the nation of churches that give, they're gonna go, oh, your people aren't generous at all. That's what they're gonna say. And then we're gonna have to do all sorts of explaining. No, 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 they are, but just not here, and, they, they are, and, and I don't wanna do that. So here's what we realized. 
if we get into the 50 percentile, not even the top 10%, if we just, in fact, if we get to 40% of the churches out there, we'll double our income, double it. Do you know what we'll do with $2 million extra a year? We'll change the stinking world. We will. And so I start sitting and going, we have to step in 2015 and push a little bit in our teaching and our, and, and, our, and our coming together as a community. So if you're here and you've never participated financially here, 2015, I'd love to see that happen because there's work to be done in the world and we want to do it and we can do it well if we had the resources that churches our size generally have. We don't have them. We run on a shoestring because we're in the bottom 10% of income. It's kind of crazy. I didn't, I didn't see that coming, but it did. So, reproduction. Reproduction. Are we reproducing well? Now, you could say for reproduction, the easy thing to say would be this. Um, are we growing? And, and, and I would tell you that that does not qualify as reproduction to me. Because lots of places are growing and not reproducing. They're getting more people in the door, making disciples of that church. But we're not here to make disciples of Mosaic Church. We're here to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We're here to equip you to the work of the gospel, not the work of mosaic. And so just because we're growing bigger, that doesn't mean we're reproducing. So how do we, how do we measure reproduction? Well, for us, this is how we measure reproduction. We looked at what's happening in the discipleship arenas and in what we're doing outwardly, not inwardly. And so here's some of the things that told us we're doing very well in reproduction. One, we have baptisms regularly here at Mosaic Church, and the stories out of those baptisms are often the same. I was hanging out with my friend in the garage and I came to Jesus. I was having dinner with my friend and I came to Jesus. I was here with my friend and I came to Jesus. Those are the stories often. They're not, I was in a service and Renault did an altar call and I came to Jesus. So what we're seeing is that you guys are pouring your lives into those around you and they are coming to know Christ and beginning to follow Christ. That's exciting. We measure it this way. They are now over 50 families that are deeply involved in foster care and adoption in this church because over the last three years, you've been inspired to get involved in orphans. That's reproduction. We measure it this way. We have three campuses now. We have the Oakland campus, the Winter Garden campus, and the Disney campus. As we stretch into areas of our uh, local culture that need church locally, we're doing that and we're seeing tremendous things happen there. Here's probably the biggest way that I see reproduction. You ready? In December of 2012, January 2013, we had nine small groups, nine life groups, representing under 100 people in our church. In January of 2014, we had 30 missional communities representing 480 people. And in January of 2015, today, we have 48 missional communities representing over 900 people. That's reproduction. That means that over the last two years, we've gone from under 100 people in missional communities to almost 1,000 people in missional communities being discipled. That's exciting. And so here's what we said. Stay the course, push harder into that. Here's something we found as an elder team. So we go through these five areas of health. We realize where we need to improve, where we need to stay the course, and where we need to push hard. We looked at all that, and then something came up. We realized that as we're continuing to do this, a conversation keeps emerging, which led us to wonder about health and ask ourselves, are we ready? And this is the conversation. What do we do about all the people that are coming? Because you people keep coming and bringing your friends. And then this is what happens. It gets full here. 
and then we get full here, and at the next service we're full, and then we start getting full at the Winter Garden campus, we start getting full at the Disney campus, because we are, and so we start going, what do we do? Because growth is a natural byproduct of health, and because we've been healthy, though we have some areas to improve, we realize that we are also growing. And what we discovered is that a sixth area that affects health deeply, it, it shouldn't be on the list because it's not an area that is an area that you measure health by, but it does affect health, is the question of facilitating growth. See, if you don't facilitate growth well, that eventually becomes an issue of health. So I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. I was trying to think about it. I, was, I thought about my kids, right? My kids, I have eight of them. They grow like weeds. So you buy them a pair of jeans, and a month later they're like, my jeans are too tight, and they're riding just over my ankle. To which we respond, when they get to the knee, give us a call. <laughs> because we're not buying jeans every month. The shoes. Oh, my shoes are a little tight on the toe. I bought those a month ago. Yeah, but now I play soccer and they hurt. Cut a little slit. <laughs> Have the toe stick out. When it starts bleeding, come back to me. We'll get you a new shoe. You see, you, you try to do all that you can because you want to be wise with finances to facilitate the growth of your children in the clothing that they wear, but you realize at some point when the, all the toes are out of the shoe that you just gotta go buy new shoes. Because naturally, if you don't facilitate growth in the things that are outward, the clothing they wear, eventually it becomes very awkward for them and then their self-esteem dives and then there's all sorts of counseling needed. <laughs> and so if you don't facilitate growth, it becomes unhealthy. We see this in the natural world too, don't we? You buy a little pot with a little plant. You facilitate a healthy environment for it to grow. You, you work on health and the plant grows, and then eventually your plant starts browning and you take it to the plants and you go, what's going on, what do they tell you? The pot's too small, the plant's outgrown its home. You need to get a bigger pot and transplant, you need some soil to put in that pot and put the plant in and it'll, it'll grow into the pot. See, in life, there is constantly the facilitation of growth. It's the same other way around. You can also facilitate growth this way. If you have a pot this big with a little plant in the middle, the guy will tell you, that's not healthy for the plant. It doesn't know where to go. You need to, you need to have a, a pot. Have you seen those churches with buildings that seat 5,000 and there's 800 people in the building? And you go, it's taking so much money to manage this building. Why don't you just sell it and move into a smaller place? Oh, no, we could never do that. That's backwards movement. No, it's not. It's facilitating growth. You just grew the other way. It's okay. It's sometimes that happens. Facilitating growth means that whichever way you're growing, you're constantly facilitating to expand or contract according to the growth. And if you don't do that, it doesn't become healthy. It becomes restrictive. My sister just moved down here from Virginia. I'm very excited about that. They've been sort of part of the church from Virginia for a long time. My parents just moved down here as well. They've been part of the church for a long time from a distance, very involved in, in the different things here. So they've moved down here now, and they're here. They've been here a couple months. So my sister, last weekend, she comes to the 902 with her husband and her three children, and they got here a little late. So they said, look, we got here at 903, so that was our bad. But they, when, they, when they went into the kids' church and they went and checked in their little daughter Skylar who's little and so bringing her in here is trouble what did they find they didn't find oh you can't check in after 902 they didn't find that they found this I'm sorry the room is full 
We have enough workers. We have plenty of people willing to serve. We just don't have any more room because there are fire codes and danger issues and other things we have to abide by. And we only have so many rooms in this building. So my sister took her children and she said, oh, no big deal. We'll take the, the Oakland Nature Reserve walk and then come back for the 1117. So the nature res- re- uh, walk was closed. So they got in their car and said, we'll just go look at a neighborhood nearby with some houses, but the gate was closed and you can't get in there. So they said, well, we'll just go grab some coffee, but the coffee shop was closed. And so they came back here. Here, got here 35 minutes early and stood in line first and got their kids signed in and came to the 1117. The reason they did that is because it was my sister. See, she loves me and she loves this church and so it didn't matter to her that her kid didn't get checked in. If she was not my sister and she was a first time attender who would likely have been two minutes late because you don't want to get here early if it's your first time because that's scary. So you get your right on time and then you go to check in your child and they go, I'm sorry, the room is full. So you don't go to Oakland Nature Reserve, you drive home and you pick a different church. Now it doesn't matter to me that we don't have that person here, what matters to me is maybe they drive home and don't pick a church at all. See, that's not okay, that's not okay. So we have to facilitate growth, otherwise we keep running into trouble in these kinds of realities. Now, here's what we don't wanna do. We don't wanna work at growth, because we call that steroids and steroids are never good, right? Have you seen these people that work at growth but they, and they f- try to facilitate health? They pump their body full of things that will grow it big and then they try to manage their health on the other side, right? Those people, they got bulges everywhere and they act weird, okay? <laughs> and that's what churches often look like when they work at growth and they try to facilitate health. We'll try to keep the health going but we're gonna work at growth. At Mosaic Church, here's what we concluded as an elder team. Here's what we wanna do in 2015 and beyond. We wanna work at health and we wanna facilitate growth. We wanna work at the five areas of health and we just wanna facilitate growth as God provides it. If we grow bigger, we facilitate that. If we grow smaller, we facilitate that. Right now we're growing bigger, so we facilitate that. And that's what we gotta do. And if we keep doing that, work at health, facilitate growth, work at health, facilitate growth, we will walk in really well. So what does that translate into for 2015? Very simply, it translates into this. Here is what we want to make sure we're doing in 2015 as an elder team for you guys and with you guys. Number one, we want missional stories to continue to define us. We started there in our vision for 2015 as an elder team because we wanna make sure that we're constantly driven by being on mission for the kingdom of God devoted to Jesus. So what should define us? How big we are? No. How fast we're growing? No. How much we're doing? No. The missional stories born out of this place because we're living on mission. That's what should define us. So in 2015, stated as one of our goals for 2015 is that missional stories will continue to define this church. We see it all the time in the articles written in the newspapers of our local environment. There's multiple articles. If you type in Mosaic Church in the Orlando Sentinel, whatever, you'll see it pop up in multiple articles, but it's never about Mosaic Church. It's always about you guys. You guys are doing something insane and awesome, so they write an article about you and you end up saying, yeah, I go to Mosaic Church and that's where I first started becoming inspired to step into this and now I'm here. And I'm surprised they don't start putting at the end of those articles, disclaimer, do not attend a Mosaic Church because this is what's gonna happen to you. 
But it's awesome to see that our missional stories are defining us. And because of that, in our city, I'll have you know, we have an incredible reputation. We have a great reputation among the churches. We have a great reputation among the nonprofits. We have a great reputation among the businesses. We have a great reputation in the city as a whole. We have a great reputation in the, in the, in the politics of our city and the education of our city. When you talk in any environment, and I get to talk in many of them, they will always come to me and say, man, we have heard so many great things about Mosaic Church. We have a great reputation, so here's the deal. 2015, missional stories define us, and we continue to deepen our reputation in our local and global environments. Leadership and missional communities find their stride. In other words, that stuff I talked to you about with our leadership development and the stuff I talked to you about about our missional communities continuing to push, that in 2015, by the end of 2015, that is so normalized, it's so much a part of what we do that it just found its stride. We're just, we're just traveling. We've forgotten we ever had a different version of it. And we just see 60, 65% of our people in missional communities and we see our leadership structures healthy and going beautifully. We want to make sure that our financial health strategies are implemented. By the end of 2015, we will have two to three months worth of reserve in our account. We will have money in our account ready for facilitating future growth for this church. We will have our debt reduced. This is what we're gonna do. That was what preparing for it next what was preparing for what's next was all about and is all about. As we head toward Easter, we're calling you into preparing for what's next. Why? Because you can help us become healthy in our financial areas, more healthy than we've ever been. We're healthy, but we need to get healthier. And you can help us make sure that our reserves are strong, funds are in place for future facilitation of growth, and debt is reduced. And that's what we want to do. So uh, we are going to work diligently at finding more larger spaces. So we want multiple campuses. We've already demonstrated that. We're going to have some big spaces and some smaller spaces. We do want to look at some spaces and are looking at some spaces that facilitate rooms that aren't going to be full anymore. Because we got people to serve in them, we don't have rooms for them to serve in. So we're looking at some spaces where we can have great children's ministry space, where we can have a sanctuary that we can have 800 or 1,000 or 1,200 people sit so that we don't have to run 17 gatherings, so that I don't have to preach 94 times. And it's coming. If we don't start doing that, it's coming because we're, we're redeeming our city and more people are coming and so we need to facilitate that. So we have realtors looking for us to see what's in the West Orlando area that we can step into in a lease or in a purchase option that will allow us to move forward in facilitating some greater facilities and continuing to use facilities like the Oakland Winter Garden and Disney campuses to run campuses and do awesome things. And then we want to capture our content. What does that mean? That means this, in the same way that leadership two years ago was relational, and so unless you knew someone, you didn't get that downloaded, and now it's structural and processed so anybody can step in with relational dynamics in it, we also want our content to be more available. See, when you sit with the staff of this church or the elders or the deacons or the people and you're dialoguing over coffee, so many wondrous things about the gospel get poured out. The trouble is you don't have any access to those unless you're in that cup of coffee. But we want to start writing that stuff down. We want to start capturing that stuff on video and putting it online so that you can have access to it. Your missional communities can have access to it. We want to capture our content and we want to make it available. We want to write this stuff down. We want to get going. And then finally, we want our soul care rhythms to deepen. We want our soul care rhythms to deepen. Because we talked about soul care in 2014. Healthy leaders in a healthy church will have healthy soul care rhythms. That's deep devotion to Christ and mission for the kingdom. And so that's what 2015 is all about. 
now you know where we're going. So what has this got to do with you? If you are here and you are already involved, you're serving, you're financially involved with your giving, uh, you're faithful in that, uh, you're part of living missionally in your circles of influence, then may I encourage you to stay the course. Stay with us because I promise you this, things are getting healthier here at Mosaic Church. They're already healthy, but they are getting healthier. You are gonna find this to be a place where if you wanna live on mission and faithfully give your time, energy, resources into stories here, you're gonna find this place to be an incredible place where you'll be shepherded incredibly well and where your resources and time and energy will be used to advance the kingdom of God in every arena of darkness. So stay the course, stay faithful. No, we are working on health. Second, if you're here and you're not involved, you've been attending, you've been here, you're not involved in serving, you're not involved with your finances, you're not involved in living on mission, you've been enjoying this, we're glad you have. 2015, can I invite you in? Can I invite you to dare to step into the story because we are a place that will be faithful to shepherd you and be faithful to utilize your time, energy, and resources to advance the kingdom of God. Do not be afraid, give yourself more because it's going to be worth it. And if you do, our story gets bigger together. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Imagine this. Remember Christmas Eve? If you were here Christmas Eve, we had a big red box out in the lobby. Remember that? And we said to the church, hey, no obligation whatsoever. There's a ministry called Finding the Lost Sheep Ministry in town. They work with people that are down and out, and we want to bless them just as we've been blessed by Christmas Eve. So as you head out, there's a red box. Throw something in the red box, whatever you feel like, and we'll give whatever goes in that red box to Finding the Lost Sheep Ministry. We did this a number of years ago when we were a small church, and I remember, this was a number of years ago, we took up a little offering like that, and I, it was under $1,000, I remember that. We were so excited. I think it was six or $700. We're like, man, that's incredible. We get to give this to a ministry. Last year, we did it again, and I think uh, last year, it was a, a few thousand dollars. And this year, as we did that, uh, this uh, week, we got to write a check and give a check for $10,049 to find in the Lost Sheep Ministry. Yeah, $10,049. Just because we decided on Christmas Eve, let's ask you to just participate. Let me tell you something. Here's where we begin to imagine. Watch this. If we keep working on health, facilitating growth, and all get involved so we can push harder, then in five years I get to stand on this stage and here's what I dream, here's what I hope, and here's what I believe to be absolutely possible. We'll be doing it again Christmas Eve and this is what I'll be saying. It's so exciting this year to write a check for $100,000 to the ministry we're giving to it. Five years from now, that's what I wanna be doing on this stage. 10 years from now, I wanna be standing on this stage because we've worked at health and facilitated growth and I wanna say this. So exciting this year that we've been able to give a million dollars away this year out of our Christmas Eve service to ministries in Orlando. That is absolutely possible. Here's what else is possible. We can move from 120 orphans in forever homes to 500 or 1,000. That's absolutely possible. Here's what's absolutely possible. We can see instead of 1,500 man hours on a mission serve weekend, we can see 10,000, 20,000 man hours on a mission serve weekend. But then we're gonna have to facilitate health so that we're strong, so when we face the darkest, the darkness doesn't overcome us, and we're gonna have to, I mean, uh, work at health and facilitate growth. Work at health, facilitate growth. And if we do that, this is gonna be an amazing ride. And it's gonna change the world. And that's why we're here. Welcome to 2015, let's pray. God, thank you for your incredible love for us, the great gift you've given us in inviting us into the adventure on earth with you to serve alongside you, to share in your suffering 
and in your resurrection to share in the mission that you are affecting on planet Earth. God, thank you that you didn't just simply uh, rescue us and not invite us into the story. Now as we walk into the story and advance into the darkness, would you help us become strong, stronger than ever, healthier than ever, so that the darkness will have no place in our hearts and souls and lives here in Mosaic, and that we would fight with diligence and faithfulness, giving ourselves wholeheartedly for your glory and the expansion of your kingdom. Thank you for this church that we get to be part of. I pray that we all would get more involved than ever in 2015. So we, can ex- so that we can see the power of your light beam out of this place in wondrous and awesome ways. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.